Welcome to the Career Zone podcast, where each episode we spend some time focusing on something that's on students' minds right now. I'm your host, Rachel, Employability and Careers Consultant with the University of Exeter. You can catch up on all of our episodes by doing all of those subscribing and following things. We're on Spotify and iTunes. Hi, Simon. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. So to start off, can you just introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about your current role? Yeah, sure. Um, well, thank you, for, thank you for having me. That's really kind of you. My name is Simon, Simon Roper, and I'm a director of Ambios Limited, not-for-profit company that's really focused on nature conservation training. That's what we've been doing for the last uh, over 20 years now. So really focusing in on giving people a toolkit of skills that will prepare them for employment if they want to go into employment in the sector um, or potentially just to go on and explore other options and find out, you know, all the great things that are happening around nature and with nature. And how did you get into this, Simon? It sounds like a really interesting role. Um, Well, I sort of fell into it, really. Um, I I, I did a first degree in zoology uh, and then came to Exeter uh, to follow badgers around the countryside uh, at night uh, as part of a research master's, which is very exciting. And and because I was involved with badgers, which are very sort of charismatic, um, I found myself being invited to little community groups and WI groups to talk about the ecology of badgers. And through that, I got into adult education. So I had this sort of adult education research, badger ecology. Um, And then in order to do the research, I was also doing a little bit of my own fundraising to put myself through that. Bear in mind, this is 30 odd years ago, long time ago now. Uh, You know, this is before computers, really. And so I had a bit of fundraising, a bit of adult education and a bit of ecology research. And and I landed up working for the Wildlife Trust uh, on communications and fundraising. And, um, And that led me into thinking about what skills people needed to work in places like the Wildlife Trust and the National Trust and RSPB. And, and people were getting really great knowledge and understanding from university degrees, but there was this gap. They didn't have the skills. So when it came to actually handling animals, surveying animals, science communication, that bit was missing. And so we found some grant funding from Europe to help trainees and students fill that skills gap and then get into jobs. And that's how the whole thing kind of started, really, all those years ago. That's how Ambios was born. Wow. So you've been going a long time. Yes, we have. Yep. Yeah. Well, that leads me on to my next question really nicely, actually. I was going to ask you, Simon, about what you think are the most important skills for students or graduates wanting to kind of enter the field of nature conservation. Yeah, really, really interesting, isn't it? I, I think they've remained the same over that period of time, which is really interesting. So the skills really are around wildlife survey. So um, if you're into that kind of thing, wildlife survey, um, communication skills, so walks and talks and uh, communicating the stuff that, you know, other people or you might do in that sort of public forum um, and uh, practical skills. So which is used to be things like and still is actually things like putting in gates, uh, putting up fences, um, hedge laying. Yeah, all that was grass cutting, you know, a lot of practical stuff. Um, so you've got that end of it. You've got the wildlife survey skills and you've got the communication skills. And then increasingly now, of course, leadership, leadership and, uh, and team working um, and more, more generic stuff. So a whole range of different things, really. Can you say a little bit more about those leadership and teamwork skills? Yeah, sure. I think one of the interesting things is that what, that what I've noticed over the last 30 years is that we, we've become a lot more aware that leadership is a universal thing. 
that actually anybody can be in a leadership position in any part of the organization. It used to be very traditional. We used to have that classic triangular model, leader at the top, everybody else working underneath. No, no, all gone. Um, and Ambios certainly isn't like that. Mind you, Ambios is perhaps not <laughs> typical. It's atypical. So uh, it has no hierarchical leadership structure. But but the, the key point is that uh, leadership is really a, a really important skill that can that can be developed and learned, um, and we're all learning all the time about everything. But you know, particularly around leadership, and that um, we can be leaders in whatever place we are in the organisation, um, and it's and crucially, as we might perceive ourselves moving up an organisation, as we can become more responsible, and perhaps get paid more money as a result of that, actually, then quality leadership in terms of compassion and understanding and enabling and uh, supporting people. Um, I, I was once told a, a, you know, a lovely little thing by somebody many years ago who said, you know, the, the reason what you're trying to do with the people who are working for you is you're trying to train them into a position so that you don't have to do your job and you can go on and do other stuff. And that, that's remained with me for, 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 you know, as you can tell, for, for a long time, because I think it's a really important point. So what we're trying to do is to bring everybody into a position where they can do the jobs we're doing so we can go and do other things. And ultimately, we retire. <laughs> we go on to do other things. Yeah. So we go out of the, the paid system, if you like. But, but those leadership skills are really important. And, that, and for me, it's a, it's a sort of a, a bit of a crusade, um, I suppose, to, uh, to spread the word about how important compassionate leadership is. It's not about a hierarchical analysis. It really is about co-leadership and helping people to do their jobs, not about forcing them to do them. So I expect we've got some listeners um, to this episode that are maybe quite familiar with the different areas of working in nature conservation and within charities in that field. Um, but maybe our listeners are less aware of those. Can you can you give us a kind of overview of some of the main areas that students could maybe move into after they yeah. leave their course um, at university? Yeah, sort of all, all sorts, really. This is one of the great things about nature conservation. You <laughs> see, I think that it's one of the broadest employment sectors. No matter your degree, don't matter. Uh, it depends what you want to do. So, so there are the classic ones. We talk about nature and nature recovery, nature conservation. We're immediately thinking, uh, aren't we, about wildlife and, and biodiversity and biology and, and geography, yeah, which tend to be the sort of the things that lead the way. But it's not only about that. It's not only about being able to recognize butterflies or to be able to survey plants. It's also about communication skills. So, you know, if you've got a degree in, in English, you know, come in help with communication and, and social media um, you might have a degree in law could be really useful for advocacy and for uh, policy um, so the organizations like rspb like national trust and others will have places in their organizations for all sorts of different skills um, and uh, advocacy being being one that i've just mentioned um, hr is the other big one so of course, with big organizations they need human resource people and people who have those skills so there really is a really broad range huge range uh, and and I, I i would sort of challenge i'd be interested in a challenge where i couldn't place somebody in my head who had a particular uh you know had a particular history or particular skill set uh, that i couldn't place them in a, in a conservation organization in, in my head it would be an interesting conversation i think there's a place for absolutely everybody and that makes it really exciting and and it's sort of um, and and the sector's broad. It's not only about charitable sector. It's also about this sort of weird where we are. We're the weird not for profit. So we're not a charity, but we're not a profit making organisation. We're a not for profit. So they that sits separately. And then you've got the statutory bodies, local authorities, and of course the private sector, ecological consultancy, and even even I say even 
as well. Ecological consultancies also need HR people when they're, when they're big. Do you see, see what I mean? And they may need media people. Yeah, and the mainly publicity people. So, so even in ecological consultancy, which we traditionally think of as perhaps small organisations, not very large organisations, working specifically on development issues or specifically on wildlife surveys and, and advising about things like biodiversity net gain and that stuff, um, you know, it's actually much broader than that. So there's a place for everybody. I absolutely believe that. Yeah, it definitely sounds like there's lots of varied opportunities and, and ways that students can maybe use their degree in a very direct way and kind of maybe combine their interest in nature yeah. and environment and conservation with that skill set. Um, but it doesn't have to be. Absolutely. It sounds like there's a lot no, of flexibility. Absolutely. A lot of flexibility. Absolutely. Yeah. How do people typically then um, start out in this field? Are there common entry level um, oh, yeah. positions or roles a, that move into? It's a really interesting question. And I think so. so there are roles. Um, I think there is no typical way in. Perhaps we'll talk about that separately, but the, but the roles themselves. So traditionally, um, countryside ranger would be the kind of assistant countryside ranger or countryside ranger would be your way in. Um, and uh, that could be a, a require a range of skills. Again, going back to what I was saying earlier about could be about wildlife surveys, could about, be about, you know, surveying butterflies and, and badgers and plants and all that stuff, but could also be about putting in gates and actually putting in fences and making styles and putting in bridges. Yeah, that kind of and could also be about public engagement, walks, talks, showing people wildlife. So that's the sort of range of things. That's very, very, if you like, traditional, it's kind of constant theme. And then and then there's there's a whole bunch of other entry positions around all that, which are things like social media, increasingly these days, charities, organizations involved in nature conservation are wanting to use social media and those those skills are really important, really important skill set. And then you move through to, the, I suppose, the slightly more specialist, slightly more niche, I suppose, which is things like advocacy and policy. Uh, and you get to organisations like uh, Worldwide Fund for Nature, WWF, and organisations like Greenpeace, you can think of, that are very much involved in that, but also the wildlife trusts as well. And so and there's a, so there's a lot of transferable skills that can be brought into all that. But I would say that, go back to your question about the sort of entry levels, classically will be a ranger. Then second to that would probably be something to do with media stroke fundraising. And then, of course, the one also I forgot to mention is about education. Of course, there's a big area in education, which is about being a communicator and being an education officer. And that would involve looking at de uh, deploying your education skills, your, your um, ability to communicate with people, uh, potentially across a range of age groups. So it might involve primary schools, but it could be secondary schools or it could be adult education. So that big range. So, of course, the education is the other key one. So it sounds like there's lots of different ways in. So from kind yeah. of education, communication, public engagement based roles to more office based roles, those requiring also yeah. maybe some specific expertise, like you mentioned about advocacy, and then yes. more of the kind of outdoor based kind of more practical yeah. hands-on entry routes you mentioned the yes. countryside ranger role there yep. so yeah what i'm hearing is that there's lots of different ways in oh it's huge yeah yeah there are lots of ways in yeah which is really great because that you can because then the individual can find their own pathway which is why i don't think there is a classic route in because everybody brings their own story and and you know there are as many stories as there are positions so what sort of qualifications are needed to work in nature conservation and how important is it to have a relevant degree? Yeah, interesting. Really, really good question. And, and I think that I think it depends. It depends. <laughs> so a lot of uh, things like the countryside ranger roles uh, will be looking for people who have relevant degrees. 
and some some experience, practical experience. But it's not it's not a make or break. And again, it doesn't matter your degree. So so I can you know I can relate to you many stories about people who are coming in who've done um, degrees in theatre and performing arts, um, who've done you know fine arts degrees, those that have done geography, biology, law, engineering. You know all these people I'm aware of in the past. They've been trainees that have come with us. So we've we've had a conversation and I've I've uh, had the privilege to meet them and they've gone on to work in nature conservation. So so a whole kind of range. So um you don't necessarily need a degree, but it's handy. It, you know it's it's a it's a quick thing for employers. And you know we have to remember that a lot of the employers will have degrees themselves. So it's a currency they understand. Uh, similarly they will understand the currency of having a master's. And again it's not a make or break it's interesting. And, and it really depends, I think, on the student, depends on you as an individual. What would you like to do? Where, where do you get most excited? Where's your enthusiasm? Yeah. Where's your curiosity? Follow that curiosity. And because whatever your, wherever your curiosity lies, that will be really useful as an illustration when you come to applying or when you come to interview. So, um, you know, you, you might have worked in education in, in um, developing countries. Yeah, but but you, and you you could bring that that story and that skill set. You might have done a master's and to something to do with that. You could bring that skill set into a conversation, an interview about education in the UK or about um, communication science in the UK. So so I think it's a question of of being brave and looking at your portfolio of experience and your portfolio of qualifications and saying, oh, actually, this bit fits this when you're when you're looking at jobs. And and it may be actually you don't want a job in the sector. And, and that's also, that's really great. I, I don't mind if you go on and work in another sector. The key thing for me is that you've come to an understanding of how important nature is. And, you know, we know that we've got climate crisis, ecological crisis. The more people that are aware of their individual actions day to day and how they can help the nature crisis and the, and the climate crisis, the better. So, so we have had trainees who've come through, been with us and gone on into the police force or gone into work, you know, in the ambulance service, that's fine. What they're carrying in their spare time and, their, uh, and what they are ambassadors for is nature recovery and nature conservation. And that's the key thing for me. So I don't mind if you come and decide, actually, whoa, actually, don't, don't like this. I'd, I'd rather work somewhere else. That's absolutely fine. Um, but if, if, if you're carrying that message of nature recovery, that's great. That, that's, my, that's my goal. That's your mission. <laughs> that's my mission. Personal mission. Yeah, life's <laughs> yeah. mission. Absolutely. <laughs> Can you share some examples of uh, maybe the kind of projects or ways in which individuals involved in your organisation or that you've worked with recently have been working towards that goal of nature recovery? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I've seen. I've, I mean, we've seen some lovely examples just recently. That there, there was a there was a guy who came to us actually it was a career changer, so he was slightly further along in his career, and he'd worked for uh, Rolls Royce engines, uh, working on on jet engines that that, that fly airplanes, those kind of engines. Um, and he was an engineer, and and he just decided he wanted to change, and he'd always had an interest in nature. So he came to us. He spent three months with us on our training program, um, and he really got into bats whilst he was with us, and he did a lot of bat monitoring and he did a little project on bats um, and and bear in mind that his sort of understanding of bats and bats ecology was was very very uh, thin at the beginning right so he works his way through this project he does a really interesting project um, looking at the bats on the, on our site down at Sharpham uh, and the way in which they move around the site um, and then he leaves us and he's he's looking for opportunities so he goes back to Sheffield 
And what he discovers uh, and what we pointed him to was to look out for seasonal survey work that, that normally is advertised around Christmas time and becomes available in April, May through the summer. And he found a seasonal position doing bat surveys where really all, all that was required was somebody to walk around different sites with a bat detector recording what was going on. And that was his first step. So he did that for the first season. And then as that went through, he did a little bit of volunteering with Sheffield Wildlife Trust. And an opportunity came out to be an assistant ranger at Sheffield Wildlife Trust. He applied for that and he got it. He's now assistant ranger at Wildlife Trust. And 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 uh, shortly, to I, I suspect, to become ranger at Sheffield Wildlife Trust. Um, and that's his way in. And so he's come from aerospace engines to rangering at Sheffield Wildlife Trust in the space of about two and a half years, probably. Um, so it just gives an illustration. And, and you know, other people that have come from um, fine art degrees, guy who, who worked with us uh, for a period of time, actually landed up working for Ambios for a while. So he, he was into fine art and sculpture, but he, had, he was also into photography and design. And he landed up designing the Ambios logos and being a photographer on the European projects we were running. And he had a, just beautiful photos. He had a particular eye for taking people photos using natural light, no artificial light. T taken you know as part of recording what the groups are doing really lovely he's gone on to work in canada uh, to work with the film industry in canada but um so gone to go on to do something different but for the time he was with us he was immersed in that nature recovery thing so he's an example of somebody who's carrying that message yeah R really interesting and that was from a fine art degree in london fantastic that people have kind of been able to get their foot in the door and it sounds like particularly in the first example really establish a, a career for themselves um so can you share some ways that students can gain experience in this area i know you've mentioned that ambios does training and i'd like to hear a bit more about that but how they can start building their cv and, and getting yeah. insight and, and experience in this field it's 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 a really good question sarah and, and i think it comes in sort of different layers so so i think the first thing to consider is that actually you can do a lot for yourself by reading actually using your favorite search engine you know finding out what information is out there and reading and uh you know i would i would point you to books around rewilding and nature recovery i would also point you to books around indigenous people and indig indigenous way of life i would put you towards children's books and illustration of nature and how it's illustrated um all sorts of different things that you can just go and have a look almost from your desktop right and then beyond that, thinking about, okay, what little bits of volunteering could I do or what events could I go to? So quite often there will be local groups, local naturalistic groups like a mammal society or a butterfly group or whatever, and they'll organize a talk and you can go along and just listen to the talk. But you're also in a, in a room where there are lots of other people who are equally interested in that subject. So if you feel confident enough to introduce yourself, by all means do. They will welcome you. You might not feel that confident. That's fine at that stage. And it's okay to just go there and observe. Just watch. Just watch what's going on. That would be my, my top tip. Yeah. Because, and, and if you go to a number of meetings, you will figure out slowly just by watching who's who. You figure out who's running the show because they'll say, they'll thank everybody at the end. You'll get names. Names will be there. And you, you, you can find your way into that. And at some point, you can have a cup of tea with somebody. You can go up to the, to the drinks table and just say hi and just say you're interested and that can start your network it's about building the network so that's a great place to start um, at conferences or at talks and then you know beyond that next thing or another thing will be about doing a bit of volunteering so sometimes there are like we have at shop and we have a thursday group you know but there will be other examples in local wildlife trust or, or nature groups go along to those 
start to see what's going on, start to find out what you like. For me, it's all about badgers. Uh, you know, for me, it's always been about badgers and foxes. Uh, and then I got into mammals generally, but you know, it was badgers, badgers sort of led me into it. Um, so that's been my thing. Start to sort of find your thing. And the reason for saying that is because if you focus in on something that's yours, right, you what you will find is that you, over time, you have lots of different experiences that relate to that. And those experiences are actually really useful where if you want to work in the sector and if you want to draw on examples at interview. So, so you know, I can remember being asked to interview, you know, have you ever had to deal with a conflict situation? And because I've been working uh, with badgers, walking around the countryside at night, there were occasions when I accidentally stumbled into farmers who had loaded guns. And, you know, in that kind of situation where they are equally as surprised to see you as you are they, you know, you, you've got to talk, you've got to explain what you're doing, and you've got to make sure that everybody's safe. So, you know, it's just an example. So the, the, and that wouldn't have happened without my interest in badgers. So, so what you find is that when you get an interest in something, be it butterflies or mosses, you know, or bats or whatever, that as you, as you interact with those, these sorts of examples come about. Yeah. And they are really useful for interview situations, but actually they're really useful anyway in just your, your journey through life. My goodness, Simon, I'm so glad you got out of that situation unscathed. <laughs> um, but it sounds like it was a useful experience. What I'm really hearing is yeah. like take action, small steps. Yeah, small steps. Um, building a network, yeah. you said. So take the steps that are comfortable for you. That's the key thing. Build, build at your pace. But know that you, you can absolutely build at your pace and, and take it little by little and, uh, and start to build that network. Um, you know, things like LinkedIn is also another really you know, useful thing. Uh, if you want to, you know, find me on LinkedIn. <laughs> That's fine. Connect, let's connect up. It's fine. It can be first step. You know, and, and, that, and that kind of thing, building your network that way, really useful. You will find that your lecturers know people. So that's another way talking to them about do they know anyone? If you have an interest in butterflies or you have an interest in plants, you know, you can just ask a lecturer, do they know anybody who's working locally on that? And and you, what you'll find is, wow, this kind of whole seam of connections opens up uh, when you start asking the question. But I do appreciate sometimes it's really hard to ask the first question and absolutely get that. And, you know, then we have to think about different ways of doing that. So you can do it by email. My caution around email would be try and not not do it avoid doing it uh what do they call it cold calling try avoiding in cold going in cold so sometimes i'm in a situation where i need to contact somebody that's really important a part of the work we're doing at ambios and i've never met them before um and i'm going to send them an email that's the only way of communicating with them and what i would endeavor to do is to find somebody that i know that they know so that the first line in the email is hello so and so I'm coming to you via this person who suggested I make contact because, and that, that avoids the delete key. Okay. It sparks an interest. And so what I would say about communication by email is pursue that thing, you know? So an example would be, you know, if you wanted to contact me, you might email me and say, Hey, I heard you on the Exeter University podcast and Da, da, da. Do you see what I mean? And then I'm because I'm reading lots and lots of emails. You know, we get lots of emails coming. We're a tiny organisation. You know, it's only about four or five of us. Huge volume of emails. But that kind of thing will make me think, oh, that's interesting. Yes, because I also get a lot of other emails that are 
you know, very bland, very, and I try to reply to them, but it's really hard. Sometimes I'm not quite sure what people are after. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that, so that's the top tip for emailing. And, you know, the, the, the other stuff about going to meetings and talking to people is really just about finding your confidence just to say hi to somebody. Yeah. And I'm sure students have practiced of this because they've been through it at Freshers Week, haven't they? They, you know, remember that time. But I, and I know it's difficult. I know it's difficult. But if you can find that little bit of bravery to do that, you will find that people are really receptive because you're, you're there because you're interested in it and so are they. And that will be the subject that they pursue. Yeah, I think all of those tips are, are great, Simon. So you've mentioned a, a few, um, you mentioned about wildlife groups, you mentioned the Mammal Society, I think you mentioned a few more. So how would you recommend students um, kind of become aware of these different organisations if they're really yeah. starting off with limited knowledge? Do you have any yeah. tips on how they can find these kind of organisations? Favourite search engine and keywords, crucial thing. So it's about thinking about keywords. Um, and sometimes that can be a challenge. So, so it's, so it's really is thinking about a range of keywords. So if we think about some of the stuff we've mentioned today, we've mentioned uh, nature conservation. We may have mentioned rewilding. I can't remember. We, we probably mentioned nature recovery. Um, and, and there's a whole sort of set of phrases around all that. Uh, we've talked about uh, rangers. We've talked about assistant ranger. We might also think about wildlife ranger or education ranger. Oh, I tell you what, top tip that's just uh, popped into my head. If you go on to uh, there, there are various um, employment websites, uh, one of which environmentjob.co.uk, um, based in Exeter, lovely organisation, <clears throat> got a whole set of job titles down the left-hand side of the, the, uh, the webpage. And that's a great place to start for looking for keywords to search for. And you will also, on that website, you will also get uh, an impression of the kind of jobs that are available. Um, so, so two um, two things with one stone there. Thanks, Simon, and we will put some additional websites and other sources right. of information in the in the show notes for this episode. Okay, right. So, looking ahead now into the future, what do you think are some of the key trends or perhaps emerging areas within this field that you think might offer opportunities for students and graduates? Yeah, so I think the the big, the really big one <clears throat> that's coming over the hill fast is nature recovery, uh, rewilding. Um, depending on the audience, different phrases will be used. But this is the big thing. This is this is here now. It was emerging about uh, three or four years ago, uh, perhaps a little bit longer, and started with um, somebody called Isabella Tree, who wrote a book called Wilding. And Isabella Tree is based at Nep Castle Estate. If you make, make a note and have a look on your favourite search engine, you can track that down and you will see that they were the the sort of the people who started this started to bring it into public consciousness. I think it was happening long before. Lots of people were doing it, but they were the guys that brought it into public consciousness through Isabella's book, um, Wilding. So this this is the thing that's coming. There's been a 40% increase in jobs in the sector uh, over the last three years, and that has involved uh, skills in nature recovery, not only wildlife survey, but also education and advocacy. And what we're beginning to see happening now is that uh, government policy is shifting towards supporting more of this stuff. So, you know, we used to, we know we used to be in Europe, we used to be supported by the common agricultural policy, we used to support a lot of the farming activity. That's all now changed. There's a new scheme coming in um, and is now uh, present and operational uh, environmental land management scheme, ELMS. And that will be where farmers get a lot of their subsidy in the future. And that will involve nature recovery. And therefore, there is a need for people to help with that. 
Um, so um, so it's here, it's, it's apparent, and it's very exciting. Uh, and a lot of the organizations involved in what we might now call traditional nature conservation are now uh, morphing to include nature recovery. So hence, you know, new jobs coming online. And what sort of jobs do you think they there might be, or the kinds of work that that people would be doing linked to that? So, so I think a lot of it follows the same trajectory. So, a lot of it is still about wildlife survey. It's still about science communication. But I think what we're adding in is a lot more to do with animals. Actually, a lot more to do with animal management. So, in nature recovery, there is, I think, an increased emphasis on using uh, what we call proxies. So, proxy animals, things that were in the countryside in the past, no longer there possibly gone extinct so we're we're using proxies for those animals and this is for things like grazing um, so we're seeing you know use of cattle use of pigs uh, reintroduction of bison all sorts of things going on and and so there's a skills area around that which is very exciting working with animals uh, in that context and then the, the other big area I think is about species recovery and species recovery is about translocations and reintroductions. I'm using lots of words here that have slightly different definitions. Um, and I, I appreciate that might be a bit complicated, but again, using your favorite search engine, if you look out, you know, reintroduction species wasn't there. Now we're putting it back. Translocation it's here somewhere, but when we're moving it to a place where it isn't. Yeah. Um, so, but all these things are happening and they're happening for birds of prey and they're happening for mice and they're happening for plants and trees. And so there's, you know, there's this plethora of jobs that are, that are coming or are here because of all this stuff. You know, if you look at what was announced, I think in um, uh, relatively recently was about wildcats in Scotland, uh, 16, 20, can't remember, wildcats reintroduced in Scotland. You know, now now that 10 years ago, you know, would have been a complete nutter dream. Now it's a reality and I'm aware of other other projects that are, that are happening along similar lines, not necessarily wildcats, but a whole bunch of other species um if you if you go going back to isabella tree and the nep estate if you look at nep which is k-n-e-double-p nep, nep's estate in in uh, over in the east of england uh, you'll see that they've reintroduced white stork and white stork is a big you know that's their big thing um so uh, but the, and the, and the people that did that were were learning it all for new because it's all happening right so they're learning what they're doing as they go along as that knowledge now becomes transferable other people are starting to do it but it, and, and so we can learn from them and we can do it elsewhere. Again, if you're doing it elsewhere, it means you need somebody to do it. More jobs. Fantastic. Thank you. So one thing that I'm just mindful of is you've mentioned about Ambios and you've mentioned about the training and you've mentioned about yeah. the kind of Thursday volunteering opportunities. Yeah. So I just wondered if yeah. you could tell us a little bit more in case our students are interested in exploring um, what you yeah. do. Yeah, sure. So so obviously we do nature conservation training. We are in the process at the moment uh, of developing new offers. So um, uh, our website is where it all sits, and we have an offer which is a, a with, which is a, a, a lengthy traineeship, sixteen weeks long. Really, really chance to embed in in that that skill set and learn those skills, uh, which is rolling out new next uh, next year. Um, and then beyond that, a series of short courses which are currently in development, which cover a lot of the stuff we've been talking about on the on the podcast. Really, um, so in terms of species recovery, nature recovery, all that kind of stuff. So we so we basically essentially we do residential training down at Sharpham on the beautiful Sharpham Estate on the banks of the River Dart, where we're rewilding 130 acres, and there are projects, uh, a number of projects 
in progress down there that are very exciting with which students can engage. So that's that residential program. And then there'll be a series of probably week-long or maybe weekend type courses, a lot shorter courses, which will really focus in to be tasters on various things, uh, including uh, species reintroduction and population enhancement. And that's all coming really soon. And that will all focus around some of the different exciting species we think that are, that are now being considered, which is which is great. And you also mentioned about volunteering. Is that a possibility for students yeah, to it, look into? It is a possibility. We, we appreciate we're in a, we're in a geographically slightly challenging place, but uh, but if you can get to Totnes, you can come come and volunteer uh, on a Thursday. Or alternatively, do make contact with us. There may be other opportunities. The key, the key thing about Ambios is, I think, partly one of the reasons why it's been around for so long is that we are quite reactive and uh, sort of we, we're constantly on the move. There's constantly new things happening. So what I would suggest uh, listeners do is to pop onto our website um, because there you can see stuff as it's as it's evolving. And what I can be sure to tell you is that if you go on the website today, it will be different in three months time because because it always is okay because you know we used to be involved with european projects we used to be involved with sending students out out to europe or taking students out to europe you know and and that was the thing that was changing all the time we don't know what's going to emerge now out of post-brexit situation but there are opportunities there so we're, we're working on a lot of that behind the scenes but where it becomes public it'll become public on the website and through our social media so instagram facebook you know, a little bit on Twitter, now known as X, um, but but mostly on uh, Facebook and on Instagram is the key thing to find out about this, to keep in touch. Um, and, and you know, there is no harm in dropping us an email and saying, hey, what's, what's going on? Are there any opportunities at the moment? Really happy to receive that kind of stuff and we can point you in the right direction. Thank you so much, Simon. We will put a link to Ambios's website um, below this podcast. Thank you so much for your time. It's been great hearing from you and learning from your insight and expertise. It's a pleasure. Thank you ever so much for having me. It's been really great. And I would just say to students, you know, just follow your curiosity. That's the thing. That's the key thing. Follow that. And then come and have a conversation with us. Have a cup of tea. (laughs) Oh, brilliant. Thank you so much, Simon. And good luck with the rest of your organisation's work. Thank you. This was the Career Zone podcast brought to you by the University of Exeter Career Zone. Check out iTunes and Spotify to keep up with all of our regular releases. And if you'd like us to cover something else in another episode, just send us a message, hashtag careerzonepodcast at UOE Careers on Twitter or at UOE Career Zone or at UOE Cornwall Career Zone on Instagram. And we'll follow up in one of the next episodes.